Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. VP vaccination Mike Pence moves to reassure Americans with a televised injection. Cyber scare, the U.S. admits the Russian hack attack presents a, quote, grave risk and a major smickdown. The Chinese shipmaker is set to face tough new restrictions. It's Friday. Let's make a move. Welcome once again to First Move this Friday, a day when Washington rolls up its sleeves for vaccinations and tough aid negotiations. All this as we await Moderna's big moment too. The FDA poised to give emergency use authorization to a second vaccine. Moderna's this time as soon as today. So we'll be watching out for that. The science, it seems, falling into place. The stimulus continues to take too long. Congress now expected to work into the weekend on that a deal. U.S. government funding is running out and another partial government shutdown, therefore, looms large. What about U.S. futures? Well, mixed pre-market sitting at record highs hit yesterday as investors follow the maddening machinations over in D.C. The stimulus waiting game is no game, with some 12 million Americans set to lose benefits unless we see congressional action. For those struggling families, the uncertainty represents ongoing torture. The waiting game continues in Europe, too, where just a few hours remain to net a Brexit trade deal before the latest self-imposed deadline hits. It's a fishy business. Fishing rights still the major sticking point. The pound weakening slightly on the news. Yet JP Morgan sees calmer waters ahead. It believes the probability of a deal is now 70 percent. That's up from 60%. More details on that later in the show. For now, Asian markets ending the week lower. The Japanese central bank today announcing a major monetary policy review. The belief is that will ultimately signal more easing ahead. Nothing easing, though, with U.S.-China tensions. The U.S. government blacklisting more firms for alleged ties to Chinese military details on that coming right up. But first, let's get to our top driver, the science and the stimulus in D.C. Moments ago at the White House, U.S. Vice President Mike Pence receiving the BioNTech-Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine on camera. This makes the vice president the highest profile U.S. public official to be inoculated. He was joined by his wife and the U.S. Surgeon General, who were also filmed getting the vaccine. The administration hopes this event will boost public confidence in the drug. CNN's very own Dr. Sanjay Gupta also joining that effort. Here he is getting the vaccine earlier today, too. While vaccinations take centre stage in Washington this morning, as we've mentioned, a stimulus deal taking shape behind the scenes too. John Harwood joins us now from the White House, a hive of action, D.C. today. John, great to have you with us. Let's talk about that vaccine first. Great to see a senior ranking member 
of this administration getting a vaccine. But but where was the president? We know he's been sceptical of the science at times. Any information about when he's going to get vaccinated? We don't have that information. But as you say, uh, Julia, uh, this was a wonderful morning, uh, a wonderful scene to unfold for the American people, light at the end of the tunnel for the pandemic. The president's not part of it. The president is has been hold up nursing his uh, grievances and wounds from having lost the election to Joe Biden, which he can't even acknowledge. Um, And he's been tweeting this morning about uh, various things, uh, going after Liz Cheney, the uh, uh, Republican, uh, uh, one of the leaders in the House of Representatives, uh, other uh, nonsense that he is preoccupied with. Uh, But people have pretty much moved past the president on this front. And that's why Mike Pence stepped up, Jerome Adams stepped up, uh, Tony Fauci was there. Uh, it was it was a heartening moment. Uh, uh, the president, he might be scared to get the vaccine. You know, he he is not somebody who likes uh, medical uh, interactions uh, and the idea of rolling up his sleeve and having somebody stick a needle in his arm. That might be something that uh, grosses him out a little bit. So we don't know uh, if and when he's going to do it. He has, of course, had the coronavirus. So that renders him less uh, vulnerable. Uh, or maybe not vulnerable at all for a while. But uh, uh, he's not part of what's going on right now. uh, But it was a good thing that Mike Pence was. Yeah, you raise such great points. Obviously, the president has had COVID-19. He's a survivor of of the virus, which makes a difference here, too. But it is such a huge moment for for America, for people around the world, a beacon of hope and something to celebrate as far as Operation Warp Speed is concerned. So it's a shame that that there isn't more focus on the brilliance of, of the operation and how well it's gone and how swiftly this, this science has come for us. Speaking of stepping up, John, what about the stimulus negotiations? Where are we on that? Well, it's very obvious that in tandem with these uh, 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 progress on the vaccines, that both the overall economy and individual Americans who are suffering need a financial vaccination as well. It does look like Congress is going to step up and do it, but it's a very large package, uh, $900 billion. We sometimes forget since the numbers that we've talked about during the pandemic, the $2.2 trillion package that was uh, enacted earlier this year, forget how large this is. Uh, It's larger than the Obama stimulus that was enacted to counter the uh, financial crisis in the Great Recession uh, in uh, 2009. So um, they're very near the finish line here. They're uh, sticking points on the amount of checks for individuals who will get them uh, on potential restrictions on the Federal Reserve, which Republicans uh, want to put on, on how much aid can go to state and local governments, either directly and, and unconditionally or through various income streams. Uh, the governors are desperate for this uh, aid, uh, not only because they need to provide services, but to prevent the layoffs that could put the economy into a double dip recession. Remember, a lot of these states have had their revenues decimated by the pandemic and the, they've already laid off uh, hundreds of thousands of workers and their threats of many more. If they don't get some relief. John, we see queues of people lining up to get food parcels in the richest nation in the world. We've got millions of people set to lose benefits. The idea that these lawmakers could leave D.C. for the holidays, having not agreed a deal, is unimaginable to me. How confident are we that through all this back and forth and negotiations, a deal actually does get done? 
highly confident, Julia. Okay. I think J.P. Morgan was lowballing the chances at 70%. I think we're looking at 95% uh, chance because everybody is so invested in this. And as you say, it has now become accepted on the table that it would be an intolerable, uh, shameful embarrassment for Congress to leave without providing relief for these families. I simply don't think they can escape uh, providing some action at this point. No. Well, we're hopeful for that and we'll keep our fingers crossed. John Harwood there, thank you as always for your wisdom. And I will just point out the JP Morgan uh, number was Brexit actually rather than the uh, the UK stimulus deal. So fingers crossed oh, on apologies. both of those things. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. Just in case anyone wants to comment. Thank you, John. Great to have you with us. All right. So the number of U.S. agencies and businesses thought to be affected by a massive cyber attack widening today. U.S. authorities suspect Russian hackers are behind the breach and sources tell CNN the State Department was among the agencies impacted. Microsoft has identified more than 40 of its customers who were targeted. Alex Markart is in Washington for us and has been following this story incredibly closely. Alex, great to have you with us. I'm just looking down the list here. The Nuclear Weapons Agency is suggesting the Energy Department as well. I mean, we're talking about key infrastructure here in the United States beyond any of the corporates and those others that have been mentioned. Grave risk makes sense to me. It's a growing list, Julia. Just on that Department of Energy on the nuclear side, uh, they were impacted on the business side of their network, not on the critical national security infrastructure. But you're absolutely right. It's a growing list. This list is growing by the day. Um, It makes things appear, and they are, worse uh, rather than getting better. And it is continuing to raise questions about what exactly these hackers had access to, what data they had access to, um, what they're going to do with it, whether they stole it, whether they modified it. Um, And we have now gotten another alert from the U.S. cyber agency, which is known as CISA, speaking to what they called a grave risk to the federal government, state and local governments, uh, as well as uh, private organizations uh, and critical infrastructure. A very worrying alert that I just want to highlight a couple parts of. Uh, They wrote that removing this threat actor from compromised environments will be highly complex and challenging for organizations. Um, This is a threat actor that has been in there since March. They go on to say, Um, that they used different ways of getting into these networks than have previously been identified and that there are procedures and techniques that have not yet been discovered. So some very worrying language there uh, from the main U.S. cyber agency. We do know, Julia, that uh, President Trump has been briefed by his top intelligence officials about this attack that is very much uh, being blamed on Russia at the moment, but we have not been hearing anything at all from President Trump. Meanwhile, this is very much a problem that President-elect Biden is going to be inheriting. We did hear some very strong language from him. He put out a statement saying that when his uh, administration comes into office, they will be imposing substantial costs on those responsible for such malicious attacks. Our adversaries, he says, should know that as president, I will not stand idly by in the face of cyber assaults on our nation. But given, Julia, that the damage assessment is currently underway, that the U.S. government is taking stock of what exactly happened, any sort of response um, from the U.S. is going to have to be 
proportional or relative to, to what they perceive the, this attack that is being blamed on Russia uh, to be. And that, that remains very much to be seen. But what is clear is President-elect Biden is going to be inheriting departments and agencies with Russian attackers currently in their networks. Julia? Yeah, I mean, just looking at some of the language here, sophisticated, patient, well-resourced. Um, to hear uh, President-elect Joe Biden say this is going to be a top priority, dealing with this is a top priority, um, yeah, makes sense to me. CNN's Alex Marquardt there. Great to have you with us, sir. So thank you so much for that update. All right, so major blow to China's top chipmaker, SMIC. The U.S. has included the firm in a list of dozens of Chinese companies on a trade blacklist. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross says we will not allow advanced U.S. technology to help build the military of an increasingly belligerent adversary. SMIC has repeatedly denied any links to Chinese military. Stephen Jiang joins us now from Beijing. Stephen, great to have you with us. What more do we know and, and what's the response from China been to these latest restrictions? Well, Julia, this is a major development, but probably not unexpected. You know, this company was uh, put on a Pentagon list earlier this month for being allegedly controlled by the Chinese military. So as the Trump administration continues to announce a series of uh, measures against China in its final weeks in office, many had expected the U.S. Commerce Department to follow suit, and now it did. But this is a much harsher sanction against the company because it essentially means now SMIC is being cut off from its U.S. suppliers and technology and companies like SMIC really relies on U.S. software and a machinery to design and manufacture uh, semiconductors. So that's why even before this news became official, even just with the chatter emerging, the company's share prices had already tanked in both Hong Kong and Shanghai. Now, the company, as you said, has denied it has ties to the Chinese military, but the government, including top officials like Foreign Minister Wang Yi, has said as recently as today on Friday that this kind of uh, arbitrary suppression against Chinese companies is simply unacceptable. But this latest decision from Washington is really more than just about this company. It's really going to affect this entire government agenda uh, on technological advancement. You know, the Chinese leadership actually on Friday held a meeting in Beijing about the country's economic outlook for 2021. And President Xi Jinping again made the point that this government must take advantage of its political system to sponsor, to organize the country's technological developments because only this way, he said, the country will never be choked by other governments when it comes to core technologies. And that, of course, includes semiconductors that power everything from computers to smartphones. So at least from the perspective uh, from Beijing, uh, Julia, this latest decision by Washington is only going to reinforce the urgency and the necessity of, and of this message and this agenda championed by President Xi. Julia? Yeah, but even with China's powers to uh, reshape, refocus and do something incredibly quickly. It's going to be painful in the short term. It'll be interesting to see how uh, President-elect Biden handles it too. Stephen Jack, great to have you with us on that story. Thank you. All right, let me bring you up to speed with some of the other news items making headlines around the world. Australia is battling a coronavirus outbreak in the northern Sydney suburb. People in the Northern Beaches area are being urged to stay home for three days. Meanwhile, in Germany, laying out its vaccination plan ahead of a post-Christmas rollout, the health minister says priority will go to people over 80 and care home residents and staff. Officials in northern Nigeria say hundreds of kidnapped schoolboys are back in their home state. 
They arrived at the local governor's office hours ago after being rescued by the Nigerian military on Thursday. The boys were abducted last week. Authorities in the region blame bandits. At least two people have lost their lives in Fiji after tropical cyclone Yasser hit the country Thursday and authorities say casualty numbers are expected to rise. The island nation suffered floods, landslides and blackouts. A spokesman says the storm is believed to have caused hundreds of millions of dollars worth of damage. All right, so to come here on First Move, getting the right vaccines to the right people fast. The chief medical officer of Salesforce will explain the firm's digital solution. And singing in Singapore, this landmark scene in Crazy Rich Asians hosts a concert in the COVID era. Just how is that possible? Find out. We've got the organisers next. Welcome back to First Move on a day where Washington is truly calling the shots. Traders are awaiting news from Congress on emergency aid, as well as the FDA's final decision on the Moderna COVID vaccine. In the meantime, U.S. stocks look set to open. Yeah, relatively unchanged. A bit of consolidation going on after rising to record highs yesterday. Investors have looked past soft economic data this week, focusing more on those aid talks and, of course, future vaccine hopes too. But the pain continues. Coke is cutting 2,200 jobs globally, half of that number coming from the United States, getting hit, of course, this company by weaker global demand for soft drinks. No slowdown, though, for package delivery giant FedEx. Q2 revenues and earnings beat expectations with an impressive 29% rise in shipping volumes. Shares are falling, though, pre-market, as you can see. The company still unable to provide 2021 guidance. And we've seen firms repeatedly get penalised for not providing that information. FedEx, of course, a key member of the vaccine logistics team for Operation Warp Speed, And as we await that FDA decision, I just want to turn to the role tech companies will play in facilitating vaccine delivery, data collection and administration to Salesforce. The cloud-based software companies teamed up with the vaccine alliance Gavi to create a digital platform to help in distributing and collecting data on these all-important vaccines. Dr. Ashwini Zanous is chief medical officer at Salesforce and joins us now. Dr. Zanuz, it's fantastic to have you on the show. I want to take a step back because you are doing important work with Gavi, but you've got a lot going on at the state level in the United States, more broadly, the federal level. Just explain how you're approaching what's required here in terms of data collection and analytics. Thanks for having us on. Um, You know, really, Salesforce has been quite active from uh, very early on in the pandemic. We quickly realized how technology could be a great accelerator to help with all the COVID responses that the world uh, has been challenged to deal with. Um, Back in May, we uh, built and released technology called Work.com, which essentially allows organizations to start thinking about reopening safely, allows tools like contact tracing, emergency response management, Uh, provides a command center, to your point, that brings all of the data together in one place so that leaders, whether it's a federal, state, or an organizational leader, can make uh, really intelligent and informed decisions quickly in real time. Uh, And in September, we released additional technology called Work.com for Vaccines. It's really Mm. an end-to-end technology solution. And 
several states, 15 federal, global, and states have already started rolling this out. In the United States, the state of New Hampshire, and uh, globally, Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, has already started using our technology. Explain how it facilitates, as we were just saying, recognizing inventory levels of vaccines, who's had the vaccine, the fact that we have to have two doses, the fact that there is at some point in the future going to be lots of different vaccine brands to keep track of as well and understanding who's had what. How does the platform actually work? Yeah, um, the Salesforce technology is really agile, um, can be set to um, manage any different type of data. And in this particular case, Work.com for Vaccines has all of that end-to-end capability. It can manage everything from uh, the supply chain and logistics, keeping track of the different types of vaccines, the cold storage requirements, uh, the communications requirements, uh, even down to the level of scheduling vaccines, bringing people back for a second dose if that's what's required for that scheduling, and uh, to help track outcomes. Uh, With Gavi, for example, the work that we're doing there is critical. We're helping uh, really power the COVAX uh, country engagement platform, which is, you know, Gavi is trying to equitably distribute 2 billion doses um, to 190 countries by the end of 2021. And they really need um, critical, stable, reliable technology that can help um, visualize what's in supply, what's in demand, uh, and really collaborate. And Salesforce is powering this technology and allowing these countries to collaborate to quickly get uh, these vaccines out. I mean, this is truly phenomenal. I think coming into this, trying to see vaccinations rolled out in the West and individual nations is one thing. When you're trying to get two billion vaccine doses out in in 2021 to to poorer nations, just controlling that, who gets what, making sure that there's some interface where people are connected is truly essential. And this is what Salesforce is providing, or at least providing the platform for with COVAX. Absolutely. I mean, look, we need to make sure that uh, we as a nation, we as a a global citizen uh, and a government uh, work together so that the majority of the world is uh, vaccinated as quickly as possible. What we don't want to have is a situation where uh, wealthier countries or people of means are getting more access and the more vulnerable uh, and poorer nations have to wait and have delayed access. It's not just the right thing to do to make sure everybody gets the vaccines, but it's also critical so that you can prevent unnecessary deaths and economic devastation. So we can't be working with Excel or working on spreadsheets. We can't be working with pens and paper, right? We really need technology to quickly get this information out. Yeah, there's no post-it notes involved in this. It's all got to be uh, computerized and digitized. It's interesting because just earlier on the show, we were talking about the, the recent hack attack and the concerns on safety. And it's broad based in the United States. How do you protect when it's something like this, which is such precious cargo, the risk that perhaps some packages get replaced by uh, placebos, that they appear on the black market? I mean, there are all sorts of risks associated with this that make data and tracking so essential. How are you mitigating those kind of risks? We're working with a broad group of organizations. This is where um, really collaboration and having public-private partnerships is critical. Um, Working with technology companies that have um, expertise in rolling out uh, these types of technologies quickly, safely, uh, and securely is critical. 
um, to your point, we need to make sure every package is tracked, every dose is tracked, that we are ensuring that people are getting the doses that they need and they're getting the doses that are safe. Um, all of these things can be done by technology. Uh, we have the means to do it and we need to ensure that we work together to get it done. Um, of course, there are going to be hiccups. Um, so we just need to be vigilant and uh, keep track of what's going on so that we can you know, recover really quickly. I appreciate you're a chief medical officer, but just based on your experience, do you think what's being done here today with this platform would have been possible in the past without the use of cloud technology and the accessibility and analytics of the data that that provides? I mean, I'm a little bit biased, but I would say absolutely not. Um, having been in the uh, healthcare space and uh, work with organizations and governments around the world, I just see how fast um, we're able to do things and scale um, our transformations. I mean, technology is truly the great accelerator and the great equalizer, I would say, to particularly when you're dealing with healthcare situations like what we're in today. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And bias notwithstanding. It's great to have uh, this kind of technology. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on the show and uh, bringing us up to speed with, you, with your work. And thank you to all the team. I say this a lot and really mean it. <laughs> thank you. Dr. Zanussi there, Chief Medical it. Officer at Salesforce. All right, the opening bell's next. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. That was the opening bell as we wrap up the last full week of trading for 2020. The Wall Street majors opening pretty flat after hitting record highs yesterday. Bitcoin taking a breather after racing past the $23,000 milestone yesterday. Interesting take from Goldman Sachs today, which says gold and Bitcoin can coexist with both assets able to rise together. Bitcoin's rising to records. Q Coinbase, the largest cryptocurrency exchange, announcing yesterday that it plans to go public to cash in perhaps on Bitcoin and broader cryptocurrency strength. Remember, some have outperformed even Bitcoin, yet that is up some 200% this year. A mere shadow, though, of Moderna's 620% rise and Tesla's 670% advance. Tesla will be added to the S&P 500 before Monday's open. The big question, of course, how much more Tesla do index fund managers need to buy before the big day? Its shares still close to record highs. All right, live concerts in the age of COVID. Singapore is making the seemingly impossible a reality. At the Marina Bay Sands Hotel, a stunning Singapore landmark, which was used as the location for the engagement party scene in the movie Crazy Rich Asians, if you remember. 500 people are enjoying the country's first large-scale music event since the pandemic began. Joining us now, Adam Wilkes. He's the president and CEO of AEG Asia Pacific, the entertainment company organizing the event. Adam, great to have you with us. What a momentous occasion. I mean, talk me through what it's taken to get to this point, because I believe up until this, you could only get 50 people together. So this is 10 times that size. It's monumental. Thank you, Julia, and it's, uh, thanks for having us on the show this morning. It's just a, uh, such an exciting night for us here in Singapore uh, and for so many people in our industry. We've been waiting a long time to see a return of live music and just to walk into the theater tonight and see the artist hit the stage. And, you know, it's something that we all are so familiar with, yet it's been quite some time. So it's a, just a, a really exciting night here, and uh, I'm glad we could uh, share this with your viewers today. 
Yeah, I'm practically bouncing up and down on on my chair. It wouldn't <laughs> have been possible. It wouldn't have been possible without um, working with the government, with the health ministry, with the tourism board too. I mean, you simply have to be incredibly careful and to build people's trust too. Just give us the the sort of COVID backdrop. Why is this possible from a health perspective? What are you doing to ensure people's safety? Well, absolutely. We've been very fortunate to have worked on a long-term partnership here in Singapore with the Singapore Tourism Board and the Ministry of Health on a plan of how to resume live entertainment in the market. Uh, Singapore is one of a few places in the world right now that have been uh, very fortunate to have they have mitigated and managed the COVID situation. And at this point, it really feels like we've begun to turn a corner here in Singapore, as well as some of the other neighboring countries in this part of the world. Um, we worked on this for a long time to try to figure out how can we do this in a way that's going to be safe for fans. And that was really the priority. And, um, you know, it started off with other industries reopening, whether it was hotels or shopping malls or restaurants. And we've built up to now be able to go from what was five people gatherings to 50 people gatherings up to 500. Uh, it hasn't been easy, but it's so far it's going really well. And our hope is that this is a uh, a path forward of how we could increase capacities, increase volume events. And, you know, we really believe that this is a bellwether for what's going to be coming in other parts of the world very soon. It's quite interesting because in the last week we've had the um, World Economic Forum also say, look, we're going to host in, in Singapore next year in May. So it's testament not only to, to your point, to, to the music industry here and to try and regalvanize bigger events. The World Economic Forum was also noticing how Singapore's handling this and saying, look, we can, we can take this risk too. It wouldn't be possible in many other places in the world. Yeah, and, that, and that's right. And, you know, I, I think that our event is not just reflective of music. It's really reflective. How do you get a larger gathering of people together, whether it's for music, for sports, for a corporate conference, a political event? And the fact that Davos Economic Forum has decided to locate in Singapore this coming year is a real testament to uh, the hard work that's been done by the Singapore government to get us from, you know, a very challenging period to where we are today. Yeah, it makes sense. Um Talk to me about the acts, because I think, and we've spoken about it on the, um, the show a lot, the K-pop phenomenon. Of course, South Korean talent, but that's been blasted all around the world. And I know you're a, you're a huge part of that, of recognising that kind of talent. Talk to me about who's going to appear and how you see the, the talent base there in terms of a global audience. Well, absolutely. Um, AEG has really been a proponent for bringing Asian music to the United States and to Europe for a long time. We've been one of, the ma- one of the main leaders in bringing K-pop into the U.S. Uh, Blackpink was featured as one of the headliners on Coachella, our, our annual festival. We've toured them and BTS and some of the other biggest K-pop artists uh, around the world. And, you know, I think what we've all seen over the last couple of years, and, and K-pop's been the one that's pushed it forward, is that regardless of where an artist is from, they could have an international audience. And as we look at the success of K-pop, the question comes, well, why couldn't that be an artist from China or Japan or Southeast Asia? So tonight we put together a show with some of Singapore and Southeast Asia's top artists, uh, Cesari, Benjamin Kang, uh, Charlie Lim. Really, the, the top artists in the community came together as part of this pilot program to relaunch live entertainment. And it just had a, a really huge response in the market. And certainly for us as AEG on a global perspective, 
you know, we're looking for that next big star. And they could be from Korea, but they certainly could be from Singapore. They could be from Japan. They really could be from anywhere. There's no limitation to an artist having a uh, global appeal at this point. Uh, talk to me about the future, because obviously this is a momentous occasion, getting 500 people together. But for the entertainment industry more broadly, we've seen an earthquake in terms of Warner Media, for example, saying, look, we're going to stream and we're going to put new movies into the cinemas at the same time. That's one thing. But when you're talking about a live concert where you've got bands playing, I, I don't know. And we've tried to do it. The sort of virtual presentation is very different from the live experience. Do you think this is a segment of the industry that will come back and won't be materially altered by what we've been through over the last nine to 10 months? I mean, absolutely. Our industry, like so many industries, has been heavily impacted by COVID. And that's just what we've all been through this last year. And, you know, as you said, whether it's um, films streaming instead of going to the cinema and all of these other technologies that are perhaps moving forward and changing the way people uh, consume, I still feel that when you go back to live entertainment, be it sports, be it music, you know, it's just human nature. People love gathering with their friends. People love experiencing music. People love experiencing sports. And yes, there's been some great examples of live stream shows. Dua Lipa just did a fantastic performance. Uh, Billie Eilish, Lady Gaga. There's been so many of these great live streaming uh, events that have taken place over the last year. And it's really great that we've had that because people want to see it. They want to experience live music. But I believe it's not a question of will or if you know, the, the, the live entertainment industry will return. It's just really when. And as we're seeing now in Singapore and parts of Asia, we're just turning that corner now. These are small steps, but this is positive momentum. And we're going to take 500 and it's going to become 5,000. It's going to be 50,000 in no time. We're turning the corner and perhaps Asia is a few months ahead of other places in the world. Um, but into 21 and beyond, there's going to be a huge resumption of live entertainment. And that's for sure. Oh, bring it on, please. Adam <laughs> Wilkes, great to have you with us. <laughs> and um, well, I'm sure everyone will enjoy the concert tonight. The president and CEO of AEG Asia Pacific there. Great to talk to you. you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. All right. Coming up on the first move, how one of the most popular players in the gaming world is now on a mission to help children with a devastating disease. That story next. Welcome back to First Move. One of the world's most popular video game streamers, Benjamin Lupo, better known as Dr. Lupo, is set to host his third annual cancer charity event this weekend. The goal is to raise $2 million in 24 hours for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Dr. Lupo has millions of followers on live streaming platform Twitch. And joining us now, gaming content creator Dr. Lupo himself. Great to have you on the show once again. Okay, what you're doing is amazing, but I just want to take a step back because while there will be many gamers watching this who are literally losing the plot at this moment, for everyone else, just explain what you do for a living. I was just going to probably throw some people off, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, we've, we had a conversation last time about this, kind of joked about it, but at its core, I, I'm an entertainer for a living. I just use video games as the, the medium for that. You know, this, that's the way that we... Uh, but try and make people laugh or get excited or, I mean, even laugh at our own failures, that kind of thing. Video games is the way that we do it. 
Yeah, you talk about your life, you talk about your experiences, but at the same time, you're gaming and it's fiercely competitive. Explain how you make money, because this ties to the charity that you're holding, the charity event that you're holding this Um, weekend. A number of different ways. Uh, People that watch the channel on Twitch can subscribe or they can tip the channel directly. We get ad revenue from Twitch and YouTube. And actually, because I'm, I'm lucky enough to be at the level that I am. Uh, we do like sponsorship deals with companies like State Farm and Gillette and stuff like that. Um, I will also advertise games that are coming up, and I I typically choose I choose games that I already planned on playing, so it doesn't really throw the audience off. You know, you don't want to come off as disingenuous because uh, Twitch and live streaming in general is a closer connection with your your fan base. I think because it's it's like I said, it's live. I, I see people type in chat, and I respond to their questions and their jokes, and we you know we. We have a good time. There's a lot of there's a lot of real time back and forth that you don't really get from other jobs like this in the entertainment industry. A lot of people you know, like an actor is not super accessible, right? But a content creator on Twitch, someone who does it live, you could talk directly to us. So that's a big that's a big deal, and I think that helps build a level of trust that helped me get to the point where instead of focusing on just my own family and my own revenue and that kind of thing. We can direct that attention to, you know, people that aren't nearly as fortunate. Uh, and in my case, I'm lucky enough that there's a ton of content creators that do a, uh, a ton of really good things around the world. Uh, and the, the good thing that I've chosen to focus on is St. Jude. Explain why. Why? I mean, we can all see with, with sick children, there's a desire to help. But why is St. Jude so close to your heart? Because you've raised millions of dollars for them over a number of years now. Um, so I have a five-year-old, Charlie, um, but I'm lucky enough that I haven't had to deal with any childhood cancer-related stuff, anything like that, and, and I, I cross the fingers that it stays that way for as long as possible. I, you know, obviously, I think everybody is in the same boat, but uh, because of the money that we've raised for St. Jude, I've been given the opportunity through St. Jude's Play Live program to go to, they have a summit every year, obviously they didn't this year because of COVID, which you were talking about earlier, um, mm. But I, I had the opportunity to go there and see in person what it's like to be in that hospital. And a lot of people have this misconception about what St. Jude or what hospitals like this are like on the inside. A lot of people imagine it to be uh, not necessarily the happiest place. Uh, you know, obviously, people are facing some of the worst stuff in the world. And you're talking about people that are between the ages of two all the way up to, I believe, 25 is the mm. highest that they that they'll treat, uh, depending on what the situation is. And seeing these people in person, I, I think I told you this story last time we talked, and I'm going to tell it again because my wife and I were there. We were being given a, a tour by uh, Jason, one of the one of the guys that works through Play Live with St. Jude, as like they're you know one of their lead the lead people. And we were at the admissions office where they assign the doctors and nurses to the family and the the child that's there. And in the middle of us standing in the hallway, we had to separate actually to opposite sides of the hallway because a mother was coming down the hall, I believe, after chemo treatment for her child who was uh, curled up in a ball in the back of a red wagon that she was pulling. And I saw that and I, I it still gets me kind of choked up just thinking about it because I don't think any family should have to make that their day to day normal thing. That's not. That's not okay, especially for somebody that's that young that doesn't. They didn't do anything. They, they didn't do anything to deserve that. And and so 
I've kind of made it help. part of my mission. Yeah, exactly. I just want to help because I, I don't I don't ever want to see my son in that position, and I don't think I wouldn't wish that on anybody. So you are, and our audience will know this from the last time and now, the wholesome face. I think of this industry. You you talk about how you lost your father. It's why you're also an amazing father, and I think we can all see that. You just want to help. The platform, the gaming industry has a, a sort of reputation for being quite toxic. It's your word used quite a lot. How do we tackle that is, as somebody yeah. that, you know, as somebody that is so approachable, that cares so much about society at the same time as doing something that's fun and, and makes a living? How do we tackle that? I, I feel like in gaming along with, with in, in any, in, you know, in any medium, any entertainment form, and it, I mean, in, in a majority of life, oftentimes the most negative people are also tend to be the loudest, right? That's the, the, the <laughs> negative opinions that, yep. you know, I mean, you know what I'm talking about that. That's the way things kind of go sometimes. And so I, my opinion is that one of the strongest ways we could fight that is by being louder than them. Uh, that's why thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to come on CNN and talk about this specific thing, because you see mainstream media and, and I mean, CNN is, is I, like you said, I appreciate it, but you're all, it, it's happened everywhere. Something terrible I, happens. I love and, and that idea. Like that. And, Make and like, the positive and, louder. Mainstream media seems to focus on the negativity of gaming. And I think that for your viewer base, it puts gaming in a negative light. And that's not the way that things should be going. That's not because that's not what, what gaming truly is to the majority of us. You know, the people that, that play video games every single day. And it's such a common thing. The audience, the people that play video games on a daily basis, is, the number is so much higher than it's ever been. But those people will all attest to this too. Gaming this, is a force for good. So might as well try and make it make make that known. You know. I was going to say this. This show aims for balance in all things, my friend. Very quickly, because I have I, about thirty yeah. seconds. Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. There's talk about people getting refunds because it's too glitchy. What's your What's your um, What's your view? Should people buy it or should they um, get a refund? If they've already bought it. Oh, man. I was incredibly excited for the release. One of my one of my biggest, you know, I've looked forward to the most among every single game. I would say that take a look around, see what other people uh, are saying about it. Maybe maybe if you could play with a friend, something like that. Uh, I think CD Projekt Red should have maybe waited a little bit longer before putting it out. <laughs> Diplomatic, my friend. Dr. Lupo there. Great to have you with us. Good luck this weekend as well with St. Jude's. And thank you. Thank you very much. Great, great to have you with us. All right, we're back after this. Stay with us. A matter of hours, the EU's chief Brexit negotiator could not be clearer in spelling out what little time is left for the UK and Brussels to agree on a trade deal. There are major sticking points, such as fishing rights remaining. And as lawmakers wait on a deal, truck drivers are waiting in a very different way. That's because of major delays brought on by the looming Brexit deal deadline, as Anna Stewart explains. Still 13 miles out from the port of Dover, they're in for the long haul. How long is the queue? Hours? Three hours. Two hours, maybe. Two hours. And we have more. That's all I do is sit in the queue on the other side and on this side. This will take me about another three or four to get across. The pandemic has caused port disruption for months. It's going to take us probably four to five hours to cross over to France. The last few weeks have seen queues getting longer and British haulier Alkaline are putting it down to Brexit and the risk of no deal. 
pandemic-wise, I don't think it has much to do with this. This is this is just purely stockpiling, uh, which a lot of customers have been doing for the last couple of months. In 2021, this could be like this on a daily basis. To beat the traffic, Alkaline are taking to the skies. They bought two helicopters. It's extraordinary. You can see just all these big lorries joining a queue. We're flying over the English Channel from Dover to Calais, a main artery of trade between the UK and the EU. Queues on both sides is a disruption some businesses just can't afford. Hey, what sort of items are you transporting with the helicopter? So it's, it's mostly car parts, um, and we'll take all the, the light things. Anything I took some windscreen wipers, for example, you'll take you sort of fit a thousand of those in. Their production line were to stop. Far more cost effective to get a helicopter. Thank God, Philippe and Charlie, we're now going to coast out back to the UK. Have a good day, goodbye. We're just crossing over the White Cliffs of Dover. We are back. It's taken us less than 20 minutes to do the whole round trip. For those people driving the lorries, it's taking hours, sometimes up to a day. Helicopters are a huge investment for this haulage firm, and it's not the only money they've spent preparing for Brexit. We made over three million pound investment and maybe half of it is a complete waste, waste of money. Could have been invested elsewhere doing other things, you know, because not knowing what, what the future is going to be, like, you know, what kind of deal we're going to have until the very last minute. They, you know, so obviously it was impossible. You can't plan anything. They may have to permanently move half their fleet to Europe next year, making British drivers redundant. Fresh back from Italy, a familiar face. I've missed you, Gordon. I've missed you. <laughs> I filmed with Gordon nearly two years ago. His journeys are taking much longer now. Today it took me five hours. Uh, two weeks ago it took me nine hours. I do remember you saying that the only Brexit for you was a no-deal Brexit. Do you still want this? Do you still? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though I live in Italy, I still want a no-deal Brexit. I think it's the only way. But you're spending hours in queues. It'll clear up. It'll get better. <laughs> I'm optimistic. <laughs> You've got to be, haven't you? Otherwise you wouldn't do this sort of work. If only everyone was so optimistic. Anna Stewart, CNN, Dover, England. JP Morgan saying 70% chance, and I believe negotiations can continue till the end of the year. We'll see. That's it for the show. I'm Julia Chatterley. You've been watching First Move. Stay safe this weekend, and we'll see you next week. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.